Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for the UFC 275 preview show here on INC Live. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Simon to my Garth uncle. He is the Hall to my Oats. It's John Martian. John, thank you very much for joining us. What's up, Carl? What's up, INC Live listeners? Good to be back as always. Been a while since we had our last pay-per-view, but as always, we're here to break down these pay-per-view fights, so I'm excited to do it as always. Good to be back, Carl. And it promises to be a really intriguing card as well, because obviously it's going to be a brand new location for the UFC in terms of the pay-per-views. We're still dealing with the fallout from UFC 274, which we'll get into in just a moment's time. If you would like to get involved with the show, though, try and contact us, give us any sort of positive feedback, you can do so. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash INCageFighting. And if you like us enough that you're willing to support and donate to the channel, you can do so on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash it's not cagefighting. And if you would like to know what John's up to over his weeks off, John, where's the best place to go? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC, UFO underscore UFC. And you can find the Martian MMA, Martian and Ozzy podcast. If you search on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or iTunes um, or, or Spotify, excuse me, the last one. Um, just search up Martian MMA and you'll find me there. And I've said John does a breakdown of every single UFC fight on every single card. And most of the time you get a lot of them right, John. Yeah, um, this year hasn't been the, the greatest year with predictions. But yeah, breaking down every fight. I, so, for instance, we're going to talk about the five main fight cards in detail here. If you're interested in the eight prelim fights, swing over to my channel later in the week and I'll have a video uploaded talking about them. Before we get to that, though, we need to discuss what happened at UFC 274. It's hard to believe, John. It feels like an absolute age ago that we were talking yeah, about, about Charles Oliver. What, 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 uh, what even, what pay-per-view was that? I, I forget. <laughs> It's been that long ago. It just feels like one week is like a month in like the MMA world, it feels like. Obviously, we had Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gagey, which was expected to be a lightweight title fight. Of course, there was the fallout surrounding the main event, Charles Oliveira becoming the first ever UFC champion to miss weight on the scales. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what happened. I mean, there's a lot of different accounts of what, what went on throughout the week about, you know the scale being off and a lot of fighters did weigh in at like 155.5, 135.5. There was a lot of fighters weighing in like that. Uh, so who the hell really knows? I mean, to me, I don't really care about a half a pound. I mean, Charles Oliveira is still the champion. I mean, he, he knocked down Justin Gaethje, then choked him out. I mean, he is, you know, clearly the best lightweight in the world right now. And, you know, I'm he's still the champion to me. So they're going to have the belt on the line in his next fight. But he's the champion. And, you know, I think most real fans know he's still the champ. That's been a really interesting thing to see because I could imagine a lot of other fighters, maybe people who are less popular than Charles, getting a lot more backlash for this weight miss. But because Charles is mm -hmm. quite a, a well-received guy, people enjoy his fighting style. He comes across quite likable. It's almost as if people have sort of, retconned that weight miss and is still treating him as the champion regardless oh for sure if it was khabib they would be going <laughs> his whole career has been a fraud i knew it all along he's been a fraud all along um but no yeah because because charles is more likable um people are kind of letting it slide I, the week of people were kind of you know we're bitching and then he silenced everybody by you know finishing gaethje in the first round and 
you know, I, to me, like I said, it's a half a pound. Come on, guys. I mean, he cut like 20 pounds that day or something. He didn't cut one extra half pound. He made it so, so close. Um, but, you know, interesting controversy to regardless. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. Do you dare to talk about one of your big predictions that you got right on the 274 preview show? We got a lot of people criticizing us when we said Carla Esparza was going to beat Rose Namajunas. And here she sits, UFC strawweight champion. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to do a full victory lap about this one just because the it fight was, was such so, a bad fight. so atrocious. So atrocious. Literally one of the worst fights in UFC history. And, you know, I'm not even confident that, that Carla won. I mean, I, after the first round, like, people were trying to score it. They were scoring live. Oh, it's 2-2, two, 1-1. Two, one, one. Who, who the fuck knew what the score was? I mean, there was no way to to know what the score was going to be in that fight. It was so mind-numbingly boring that I, I don't even want to pay attention for five minutes to score the round. So, sure, Carla got her hand raised. That's good to see. I mean, um, she was the underdog, so, I mean, it's nice to see the underdog get the victory. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not positive she won. I'm not re-watching the fight. Now, I don't think anybody will ever re-watch that fight. But, um, yeah, it's nice to see Carla. And, honestly, I feel like on the prediction show, I might have predicted the exact rounds that she was going to win. I think I said she was going to win 48-47. And I think she I said she will win the first two and the fourth round, which is technically what she did win. So, um, but like I said, I'm not going to do, uh, I can't, you know, claim myself as mystic Mac over here saying I thought it was going to be a staring contest of the boring, or most boring fight in UFC history. So the one thing it has done though, is had a major factor on one of the fights that will be taking place on 275. Some of the implications that could come for the winner of that fight. And that brings us on to 275. Now we mentioned at the start of the show, it's a bit of an intriguing one for the UFC. It's their third, if there's fifth event, that's taken place in Singapore. The last time we went there was the classic between Damian Meyer and Ben Askren back in 2019, but it's the first time they've ever held a pay-per-view there. Now, we've heard the UFC wanting to try and court the Asian market for a long, long time. Obviously, they made big inroads into China. Obviously, with like Weili becoming such a big success. And also, we got the road to the UFC sort of almost sort of side piece, which is going to be going alongside this event. But why in particular do you think they've chosen Singapore as the location over, say, China or Korea or Japan? Well, I think Singapore, uh, English is the official language in Singapore. Maybe not the official language, but I'm pretty sure it's the most commonly spoke language there. Do you know that for a fact or am I, I don't making know that, that for a fact, I'm afraid. I'm pretty sure that's true. Well, I'll look it up in a second or you can type it in now, Carl. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure that is the case. Like... Uh, I'm pretty sure like their street signs and everything are in English. And uh, I think they're just a, a little bit more of like a Western, you know, Asian country with like their influence and everything. So I think it's a little, little easier to infiltrate in terms of, uh, you know, Japan or South Korea. And then, um, you know, COVID is still kind of a thing. So maybe this is just easier to do with COVID. Um, and, you know, like the UFC, they always have some financial ties. Like the with the Fight Island, I mean, they were getting paid through the nose by the, uh, what was it, the UAE government or wherever that was. Uh, I mean, they were getting paid a ton of money to have those events. And um, I'm sure there's some sort of deal in place with uh, Singapore as well, where the, the UFC, the, the government there or whatever is making it worthwhile for the UFC to travel there. Do you think that one championship may be a bit of a factor as well? Because obviously one over the past couple of months have announced that they've got their deal with Amazon. They're going to be broadcasting a lot of events in America over the next couple of months. It just feels a little bit convenient that 
they try and make inroads into the USC's market in America, and they think, okay, we're going to do the same thing to you. Yeah, that is possible. But I mean, one of C doesn't even have a market. Come on, nobody watches that shit. I mean, even in Asia, all, all they fake all their viewership numbers. Uh, Chai Tree or whatever is the cringiest uh, pathological liar I've ever seen in, in combat sports. So, I mean, that promotion sucks. Uh, I won't even. I mean, their kickboxing, their Muay Thai is pretty good, but their MMA is, is absolutely terrible. Um, so I, I don't really think it's that much of a factor. I would say something, but we have been copyright struck by one championship on the main channel, so I have to be whoa, very, whoa, very whoa. careful. <laughs> one thing that I have noticed in regards to 275 before we talk about the prelims, you mentioned 274 where you felt it was quite a... It was quite a strange card in that we had two title fights, the big marquee matchup, and then it was a big fall-off in quality from Ferguson versus Chandler through to the rest of the card. And I feel we've got a similar situation this time around. Again, two title fights, uh, Zhang Weili versus Joanna, which a lot of people expect to be that sort of big. That's, that's worthy of being a five-round fight night main event, in my opinion. And then again, a big drop-off afterwards. Is this the new market for the UFC? Is this the way that they're going to be approaching these cards from now on? Um, it's possible, but I'll, I'll actually say that the the drop-off is, is pretty insignificant, actually. I mean, I think the... the it's possible the skill level in the the first two fights is higher than the two women's fights, honestly. Um, because, I mean, I'm really interested to see Jack Della. I'm really interested to see Kate Bontran. That's a really good matchup. I mean, I think Kate Bontran is a matchup that should be entertaining no matter who wins. Uh, the Jack Della fight will only be entertaining if, if he wins. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Ramiv is one of the most boring fighters ever, so no one wants to see that. But they're kind of setting up Jack as like a prospect spot on the main card. So I think I'm fine with the main card ordering. Uh, obviously, we have to analyze another Shevchenko fight, which for all you listeners out there, I am sorry. We this, Carl, what is this? Like This is like our fifth, fourth or fifth fight that we're analyzing for this woman. I mean, man. Getting exhausting. It might be like, yeah, I think it's the fourth we've done. Uh, we'll Maybe be, the fifth. We'll be getting to that in a lot more detail later on in the show. For now, though, we're going to be talking about the prelims, which will be broadcast on ESPN and on Fight Pass. You can see those on our screen right now. As you would come to expect, given the location, we've got a lot of Asian talent, which is on there, a lot of Australian talent as well. Um, I think for me, one of the big sort of intriguing elements of the prelims, which stands out for me, is Andre Fialo. This is going to be his seventh fight in the past 12 months and his fourth in the UFC. Now, obviously, it's good to see a big company man. He's wanted to try and get as many fights as he can to... I believe he's on a four-fight contract and that will be improved if he gets renewed by the UFC. But is this amount of activity a little bit dangerous for him? Um, I would say so, yeah, because, I mean, he... The Baeza fight earlier this year, I mean, he was getting tagged a little bit in that fight, kind of a comeback knockout. Then he fought like three weeks turnaround, I think, which is, you know, a really quick turnaround. Um, and then he fought a lower level guy in there, maybe got hit with a punch or two, but then was able to knock him out. Um, so it's not like he's taken an, an insane amount of damage, but I mean, the dude is active. You got to give him credit. I mean, uh, he's knocking people out. Um, kind of got a little Chris Curtis vibes to him, maybe. And um, I, I'm a little upset, though, because 
if they did Andre Fialo versus Jack Della, that would have been an amazing, striking boxing fight where these dudes would have just boxed it out. And that would have been a perfect fight to kick off the main card. But both of those guys are being matched up against like these snooze fest fighters like Jake Matthews and Ramazan Amiv that it just makes the matchups a lot less interesting. It's like either the fun fighter will win or the boring fighter will win while we could have like a, you know, a fun versus fun type of matchup. But um, yeah, nice to see Andre staying active. You know, he's probably cashing a lot of checks too. I have a little bit more time for D- Jake Matthews than maybe what you do. I mean, I remember the match he had with the Leech, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, I thought it was fun when he was getting his eyes gouged out, but like not much else was fun about that one. What is fun for you on the prelims, however? Um, Brendan Allen's going to be back in action. He's taking on Jake and Malcoon. I feel like Brendan Allen's one of those guys who... Every time it looks like he's on the verge of making a breakthrough and maybe saying, yeah, he's finally put it all together and he might be like a top 15 guy. There's always some sort of knockback to just sort of put him back into this sort of this sort of mixing pot of middleweight contenders. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty accurate. Uh, I like Brendan Allen. I don't know if he's one of my boys quite yet, but he's uh, I mean, looking at these prelims, first of all, they're they're weak. They're weak, Carl. I mean, especially the first few fights, um, you know, some fighters that you haven't heard of too much. I mean, like like you said, Phil is cool. Denal Baccarel is cool. Sung Woo Choi is cool. But like the matchups aren't exactly exciting. Um, same with Brendan Allen. He's a cool fighter, but he's fighting a rather, you know, one-dimensional wrestler in Malcoon, which is a little hard to get excited about. But uh, to give Brendan a little defense here, I mean, the only fight that um, he lost that was like, I wouldn't even say, I, I don't think either is a bad loss. I mean, Strickland and Chris Curtis, both good fighters. Um, but uh, Strickland, that was, you know, really early on in his UFC career, uh, and he was already getting Strickland. I mean, the odds were close for that one, but I, I was pretty confident in Strickland there. And then he was a big favorite over Chris Curtis, and he did lose that fight. But as we all know, Chris Curtis is a good fighter. So I, I still have high hopes for him. I mean, I still think he is a good fighter with some promise. Uh, but he also did have that close round against uh, Sam Alvey in his last fight, which is not good. So, man, but these prelims are pretty weak, don't you think so, Carl? They're not the best prelims that I've seen. I think that the UFC, traditionally, I think you get the strong prelims when it comes around sort of uh, October, November, December time. I feel like the UFC properly uh, backload their events for the uh, final quarter of the year. I think they do that for monetary reasons. But when you get around to the sort of like summertime, and especially when you're building up to International Fight Week, they do scrimp a lot. And I feel like there's a lot of this going on. Uh, you mentioned before, like, the poor quality of some of the um, proper fight pass prelims, like the first two fights on the main card. It's quite fascinating to see that sort of juxtaposition of having a eagerly anticipated rematch, arguably a rematch of the greatest women's fight of all time, and a women's flyweight title bout, which a lot of people are thinking could be more competitive than some give it credit for. And you contrast that with Nali Yang and Silvana Juarez and Ramona Pasquale versus Jocelyn Edwards. Yeah, it's quite the contrast, honestly. Um, but, I mean, I, I do agree with what you're saying. They do tend to stack, like, certain cards. But I, you're forgetting July. They always forget they stack those early July cards, the pay-per-views. Um, so maybe that's what they're doing, you know. I mean, I, I understand they're they're getting, you know, Asian talent on this card because of the location. But it just so happens that the fights are, are you know, pretty uh uncompelling uh as a result of that too but there is the uh 
whatever they're calling it, Road to the UFC, there's going to be 20 new or 20 fights going on over the course of like three or four days or some shit like that. Some crazy amount of fights. Um, so that'll be interesting to see play out. That being said, though, I actually think Nali Young versus Silvana Juarez, that could be fun in sort of like a sloppy brawl way. But these girls oh, can sure. throw. For sure, yeah. Nali Yang's first fight in the UFC is is absolutely hilarious. You guys got to go watch that if you haven't already, or just rewatch it against uh, Carnalossi. Watch that. I love that fight. That was the first fight on the two sixty one card, so like the crowd were proper fired up for that one. Yeah, but it, it's so funny to rewatch. I mean, there's one point where she is laying backwards with her eyes closed and just eating punches on her back, and the referee's like, "This is over." <laughs> You could tell it's early in the morning for you in Philly because you're proper like laying into everyone right now. Yeah, right, right. I know. I, I have some some hot takes on this card. I'm I'm shitting on everybody across the board. Well, he's somebody that you sort of tease that you're going to be criticizing a lot because he's fighting on the first fight of the main card. Ramazav Emiv is going to be taking on Jack Della Madalena. Betting odds for this one, you can get Madalena as a minus one thirty five favorite. Emiv comes in at plus one fifteen. Now, this is a bit of a strange fight to open up the main card. Obviously, I get it from the context of Madalena being Australian, relevant to the area, and obviously he's got a good winning streak going as well. I think it's something like 11 fights in a row. But as you mentioned before, Ameev, arguably one of the duller fighters on the roster, has a fighting style which Dana White has been openly critical about many times, not just for himself, but for other sort of wall and stall fighters. Bit of a strange fight, considering you want to fire up the... the audience tuning in you want that sort of big all-action brawl and instead we're getting this yeah i mean this is really confusing matchmaking to me i mean this seems like an example of oh these two guys are available on this day let's match them up there really wasn't much thought into like how this matchup will prevail because jack della is you know a, a slick southpaw boxer has been really fun to watch so far only one fight in the ufc and then you have Amiv, who is you know a boring orthodox uh you know kind of you know just leg leg uh humper or crotch sniffer i mean this dude just pushes you against the cage and holds you there the entire fight he, he doesn't land hard strikes he gets takedowns but he doesn't do much with them i don't think he has a finish in the ufc yet let's see yeah the only decision wins in the ufc um and if you look at those wins they're also some pretty unrecognizable names so i mean i've always been really underwhelmed with uh ramazan i actually bet against him got a little lucky uh with uh, danny roberts in his last fight um but that 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 loss has actually aged you know way worse i mean we just saw trinaldo make easy work of danny roberts and ramazan Amiv was really struggling there um so I mean, Jack Della, I'll be cheering for him. I think everybody in the world is going to be cheering for uh, Jack Della here, unless you, for some reason, are betting on Ameev. But, I mean, I, I hope Jack boxes him up because if Ameev wins the fight, it'll be in extremely boring fashion. And, um, you know, maybe maybe the UFC is looking to get uh, Ameev out of there. I mean, I think this is his eighth fight, so it's possible that uh, he did a four-fight contract and a four-fight contract. They're hoping he loses this one and they can just get him out of there. But also, if they were going with that strategy, they would have maybe gone with a, a fighter a little more proven than a guy with just one UFC fight. So uh, I've got high hopes for Jack Della, and uh, you know I hope he's able to perform and win the fight uh, this Saturday. I think maybe they're hoping that uh, Jack Della, based on his record uh, with Eternal MMA and what we saw in the Contender Series and what we saw against Pete Rodriguez, I think they're hoping that, hey, this guy is able to get exciting matches out of nearly everyone. Let's see how good he is by trying to get an exciting match out of 
one of the duller fighters on the roster. And we're going to talk about Jack Delman in a little bit more detail because obviously just one fight in the UFC and that ended in the first round. How much can we read about this guy based on what we saw on his UFC debut? Because yes, very clinical performance against Pete Rodriguez, uh, first round knockout, pieced him up pretty much from the start during that fight. But Rodriguez took that fight on short notice. It was only his fifth pro fight of his career. Can we maybe be a little bit careful in maybe trying to build Jack a little bit too high based off that one fight? Oh, for sure, yeah. I think the the more indicative fight is the, uh, the Ange Lusa fight on the Contender Series. That's an actual 15-minute fight where you really get to see um, his skill set overall. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, he's, a, first of all, an incredible boxer, good kicking game as well. So, I mean, his striking, I think, uh, doesn't need any work at all. I mean, it's really high level from what I'm seeing so far. It's just his grappling and, you know, maybe his... his uh, his cage craft, his footwork a little bit, but I don't think we've seen anything glaringly bad in that area. Um, the worst moment we saw from him was in the Ange Lusa fight. He, he did get taken down in round two. He got put in like a fully locked in arm triangle, but defended it, was able to get back up to his feet and then got right back to outboxing Ange Lusa to the point where he didn't even lose the round. So he got taken down and was put in a really deep sub attempt, but he got right back up to his feet, started boxing him up again and then won the round on all three judges scorecards. So it shows that this guy is, you know, really active when he's on the feet, which is, which is great for winning rounds, especially against a me for instance so let's say Amiv is taking him down he's holding him against the cage for three or four minutes the crowd is booing nothing is happening and then in the last minute Jack Della gets back up to his feet lands you know maybe five ten punches in the last minute he could steal that round back and you know win this decision and uh, Amiv is tough I think he will probably make it to a decision it's going to be a fight where Jack lands a few punches Amiv tries to clinch uh, we spend a minute or two against the cage and then Jack finally gets off. And, you know, I don't think Jack will win it super emphatically, but I think that, you know, him being the much more uh, damaging and offensive fighter should win him this fight. Do you think there's maybe some questions over Jack's conditioning? Because we've had, uh, he's had 11 wins, 10 of them are coming the distance. And the only fight that actually went the full 15 minutes was the fight on the contender series. And based on what I saw in that fight, I did think that Ange Lusa was coming on a little bit strong near the end of the fight. And I think maybe there are some questions over whether the guy's cardio is, is good enough. Yeah, I, I don't really remember him coming on too much in round three. Let me see. I mean, I think that... Um... Yeah, I mean, the stats say he still landed 15 more strikes that round. I mean... I think his cardio is looking good so far. I mean, but it, but the thing is, he's going to be in a much more taxing type of grappling, yes. clinching fight this one. So it's possible that he slows down more than, uh, you know, more than expected. But I mean, he is the favorite. The be the better is, you know, the market is respecting him out there. I mean, uh, they're, they're clearly showing that this guy has a promise because he's already a favorite over a, a tested guy like Amiv. We've given Amiv a lot of criticism on this uh, show for his fighting style, but he's managed to get 20 wins out of it. He was a champion in, I think, M1. So he's got a lot of credential behind him. So he's he can't be a bad fighter, even if his style isn't the most impressive. What would you say are Amiv's biggest strengths? What are the things to look out for and say, hey, he's going to win this fight and this is how? I mean, I really struggle to say anything positive about this guy. Like, I hate this guy's guts. But... um I mean, he, he knows how to win win fights. That's what I'll say is he knows how to win rounds, fights. He's been in a ton of 15-minute fights. And, you know, I think there's a lot less concern that he's going to, you know, 
he's not going to gas out. We, we, we know that. He, we know that he's going to be there for the full 15 minutes looking to clinch and to wrestle. So, you know, he's, I guess he's consistent is what I'll say. Obviously, bearing in mind what's happened over the past couple of weeks, and in particular, I bring up sort of like the Holly Holm, Fiera fallout, where you had Holly with this big sort of wall and stall style strategy and ended up losing the fight because Vieira was seen as being more active, more making more intent to try and win the fight. Do you think this is maybe going to be a factor when it comes to this match? Like, can Amiv just rely on that sort of wall and stall strategy to win this? Well, I mean, in his last fight, I mean, he probably should have won that fight, but just because, I mean, he's so, so boring and, you know, just no fun to watch, the judges, you know, gave it to, to Roberts. And, I mean, Roberts in that fight was just, he was being aggressive, he was swinging and punches, but he was missing a lot of the time, but the judges thought that was good enough to give him the decision. It. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely live. Any fight that's going to the decision, you guys got to be, you know, very unsure of what's going to happen, because these judges lately are terrible, especially in Singapore. Who the hell knows what type of judges we're going to be getting there? Whether these guys have judged, you know, MMA recently, we, we won't know until the fight starts and we get our first crazy split decision or something. So, you know, you got to be wary of that. Your heart's picking Madalena is your brain. Yeah, yeah, I'll still pick Matt, Jack decision. I'm good. I just think there's too many question marks about Madalena. I think his regional record is very impressive. I think he's looked very good there. But it's very hard for me to judge him as a bookmaker's favorite based off one UFC fight. So even though I do, I, I share the sentiment with you, I don't want to move to win this fight because I do find his style boring. I think he's going to do enough to get it done. So I'm going to pick a Maeve unanimous decision. Nice. Nice to see us different on picks here. We'll see. We'll see who's next ne or who's right next pay-per-view. I wonder if we'll disagree on the next fight too. Well, this one's going to be very interesting. And in my opinion, this fight should have opened up the card because flyweight are in action and it's Rogerio Bontorin who's taking on Manel Cop. Uh, betting odds for this one, you can get Manel as a minus 220 favorite. Bontorin comes in at plus 180. And I have to say, it's good to see the Flyweights getting a main card showcase. Normally, they're sort of restricted to sort of like the fight nights or pay-per-view prelims. So it's good to see two exciting guys being showcased to the masses and saying, hey, you're going to be you're going to be the appetizer to the main course. I think this is, um, yeah, I thought for some reason maybe the Kaikara France and Bontarin fight was on the main card. It wasn't, but the, the Bontarin and Schnell fight was definitely on a paper. I think that was card. a last minute addition. I think one of the fights fell through and he added Schmel and Bontarin. Yeah, that is possible. But, um, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, these guys deserve it. I mean, they've produced entertaining fights pretty consistently. Uh, Bontarin may be on the a little less exciting side just because he does like to grapple. He does like to mix in takedowns. He's good at taking people's backs. Uh, so he is not the most consistently exciting guy, but he, he, he can box. You know, he's a pretty entertaining guy. But Cop is just, you know, nonstop fireworks. I mean, this dude uh, throws hammers for punches. His last fight against Zuma Gulov was crazy. I mean, it was just a one-round fight. It only lasted three or four minutes, but it was just hectic the entire time. Uh, fly knee knockout over Oday Osborne. Two really close decisions over Pantoja and Nicolau. The Nicolau one sh probably should have went his way. So, I mean, Cop is really good. Uh, he uh, came over in the UFC pretty recently, but has really proved himself. And, I mean, he's just an, a consistent action fighter. He's hard to take down. He's extremely durable. I mean, this dude is insanely durable watch some of the punches that zuma gulov landed on this guy and he just walked right through them so uh, i'm really excited to see this matchup um you know I'll, I'll let you 
give your thoughts on it before I give my full thoughts on the, the matchup. And it's been a good rebound as well for Manel because obviously the guy came in, I think he was the Ryzen Bantamweight champion, something like that. Uh, a lot of fanfare, given Pantoja on his UFC debut, which is a sign of how highly they rated him. Both those first two fights happened, and a lot of people thought, well, he's just been a little bit too tepid. He's relying too much on counter-strikings, waiting for the perfect punch. And he ended up losing those fights, arguably through inactivity. I agree with you. Personally, I thought he should have got the, the win over Nicolau. And then since then, I think he's taken a lot of that criticism on board, and we've seen a much more aggressive clinical Manel Cup. We saw that with the O.D. Osborne fight, and we saw that when he fought um, Zulgas, uh, which was a very competitive fight to start off with, and then just that big power punch, and Bob's your uncle. He ends up winning the fight, and it's a, it, it's very rare you see a flyweight carrying that much power. Like it, I'd probably say it's Manel and Figueredo that have that sort of one-shot stopping power. Yeah, this dude's a, a crazy athlete, and I feel like he was he was like a backup for like a Figueredo Moreno fight or something, or Figueredo Perez or some shit. Like, Cop was like on standby to make weight in case he had to f- fill in for that. So yeah, they they had really high expectations for this guy coming in, and that's why they matched him up with Pantoja. And uh, I don't think he has completely corrected that problem though, because in the O'Day fight, I remember that fight like nothing happening in that round, and then all of a sudden, Cop through the flying knee. Same thing with Zumagulov. He kind of let Zumagulov start fast, and then he, you know, hit him with a few leg kicks and then knocked him out. Um, so I feel like there still is some of that lingering issue where he he lets the fight come to him a little bit too much. He needs to be the one really setting the tempo. And when he does set the tempo and when he does go forward, in my opinion, I know he's a lightning-quick counter-striker, and that's his sort of like bread and butter. But I think... When we've seen him go forward, we've seen better results from it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and it's going to be a, a battle, I think, uh, of, of takedown defense here because, in my opinion, Bontorin is not going to want to stand with him for too long. I think he is at a you know a speed disadvantage, possibly a power disadvantage as well. And with how durable Cop is, I mean, it's just going to be a tough, tough uh, task for Bontorin to outstrike him over the 15 minutes. So I think Bontorin's going to have to mix in his grappling but Cobb has not been an easy guy to take down. Even Pantosha and Nikolau had trouble taking him down. And I think he's steadily improving that. I think he I don't I think, I think he might be training at AKA or something. I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that gym nowadays, but um I think he's gonna have trouble, you know, holding Cop down. And Bonsrin also does kind of slow down as the fight goes. Roy Vall fight, his last fight, he did gas out in that that last round and, you know, lose that round three pretty emphatically. So I just feel like Cop has a lot of, you know, athletic advantages here, speed, durability, uh, probably cardio as well. Uh, I think he's the better striker, and he just really needs to let his strikes go here, and, and he can win the fight. So I think the odds are about right here with him being like a 2-1 to one favorite, and uh, I'll probably be picking him. It's just a matter of knockout or decision for me, and I think I'll go with knockout, like second-round knockout. We'll talk about Rogerio Bonturin in a little bit more detail. 16-4 and four record. Uh, notable wins include Harley and Paiva and Magomed Bibalatov. Uh, he is, however, winless in his past four, but those uh, some of those losses have aged very well. Obviously, you've got Ray Borg, former title challenger, Brandon Royval, and Kai Kara France, who's going to be fighting for the interim belt. And the Kai fight, in my opinion, showcases the best and the worst of Bonterin because people look at the record, they say, oh, he got knocked out in the first round. People forget he absolutely dominated Kai on the ground for that first four minutes, 30 seconds. 
but Kai was able to get back to his feet and just landed that one big sequence and Bob's your uncle, game over. Yeah, hilarious stoppage by our man Herb Dean there too. Um, but it, it's that standing back take. I mean, the standing back take is a terrible move in MMA. It burns out your legs. If you don't get that choke, your legs are going to be, you know, fucked for the rest of the fight. So that's what happened there. He had the standing back take for multiple minutes. And then, you know, Kai shook him off. And then Bontran was kind of like dead in the water, just standing there. And he got hit with a big punch. And that was that. So, uh, yeah, his chin is, is not the greatest as displayed there. And, uh, I mean, I feel like uh, you, you did say that he's winless. He did beat Matt Chanel. Maybe that, that fight was, like, overturned for, overturned. like, for, yeah, but he, he won that fight. I mean, he outboxed Chanel over 15 minutes. That was a decent win. But I just feel like this guy hasn't really put together a, a great win in a while. Uh, I mean, the Piva fight was a quick cut stoppage. Um, the Chanel, Chanel, I don't think, is the highest level fighter. So I feel like uh, I feel like I'm, I'm picking a cop here with with, uh, with decent confidence, and I'm not too high on Bontrin overall. I'm going to be leaning the same way. I um, I maybe have a bit more time for Bontrin. I think he's very aggressive, maybe to the point of being reckless, and I think that could cause him problems. I think if he makes it a very grappling heavy fight, he tries to get Manel down. I think he could succeed at some points. I can see him maybe taking a round. But he needs to be very careful when it comes to the stand-up exchanges because Manel is so fast when it comes to his counters. And I could see Bonterin maybe getting a little bit too carried away, coming in, big swinging overhands, and Manel catching him and going down. Yeah, that sounds right to me. So you, you think a uh, knockout here for Cop? I'm going to say Manel's second round. It wouldn't surprise me if Bonterin wins the first. Yeah, yeah. Same exact pick. I'm doing second round KO. Um, maybe actually, you know what? I'll go down just to, so we're different, just to be so we have something to you know battle head to head against. I'll go first round knockout for cop. And if Manel was to win, I think Manel's the number thirteen rank flyweight right now, and Bonterin is number eight. So if Manel wins this fight, like flyweight is a really wide open weight class right now. We're seeing a lot of people sticking their flag up and saying, "Hey, maybe I'm going to be the one to challenge." Uh, for a belt, say, in the next 12, 18 months. Do we put Manel into this conversation with a win over Bonterin? Oh, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's give this guy, like, uh, Brandon Royval. I mean, the cop would, would send Brandon Royval's head off his body. I mean, I, I really want to see that fight. I do not like Royval, and uh, cop is just such an athletic freak that, you know, I, I'm really excited to see some future matchups with this guy. I would say Manel versus the... Moreno versus Kai loser. That's not a bad idea as well. That that's a that's a big jump though. I mean, he he, he even if he wins this fight, he'll probably jump up to you know maybe nine, eight or nine or something. I mean, these rankings are, are stupid anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that that's not a bad idea. Maybe Askarov too. Yes, yeah, Askarov's a really good call actually because that's going to test his wrestling big time. Hmm. Fight number three, though, and for a lot of people, I know Ariel Helwani has sort of trademarked this for himself. We come to the fight that some people are calling the people's main event, the women's strawweight division. It's Zhang Weili, the number two seed, taking on the unranked Joanna Yunjiecek. Uh, betting odds for this one has Weili as a minus 170 favorite. Joanna, you can get a plus 150. Now, I want to go back to March 2020 before the world descended into chaos. UFC 248. The core main event strawweight title is on the line. 
and we have what many consider the greatest fight in women's MMA history. Where were you when that happened, John? What was your opinion watching that fight play out? That's a good. I was trying to remember this the other day, like where I was watching that unfold. I'm pretty sure I was just, you know, at my house watching it. I was betting Joanna big before the fight. I was adding to her, uh, you know, as the fight was going on. I thought things were going great. Obviously, the the head swelling wasn't a good look for Joanna, and then that heartbreaking split decision loss. Um, that that'll always hurt. There, I, I still think you know Joanna deserved to win the fight. Um, I mean, the rounds are close though. The rounds, you know. The way they played out, I mean, I could see a case for Zhang winning three rounds. Uh, I could see a case for Joanna winning four rounds. I mean, the rounds were really, really close. They were all decided by, like, these small little moments. But to me, I just saw Joanna having the more overall success as the fight went on. And, uh, you know, I think that as the the fight as a whole, Joanna did win. Uh, it's just, you know, that crazy swelling on her forehead, uh, you know, was a bad was a bad look for the judges and possibly maybe, you know, edged Zhang getting some of those later rounds. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I think, best women's fight of all time. I'm not even sure what, you know, number two would be. Probably Rose versus Carla, too, honestly. Maybe Holly <laughs> Holm. Maybe Holly Holm versus, like, Aldana or something as, like, the third best of all time. But, um, yeah, it's I feel like it's a little... I feel like I'm. What is it? Two years, three months later. I mean, I feel like the 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 window for this rematch is a little bit past us. I don't know if you feel that way as well, Carl. But I mean, I, I'm still excited to see it. But I mean, if if a, you have an amazing, great fight over five rounds, the best five round women's fight of all time, we're doing a rematch. Let's make the fight uh, 40% shorter. Whose fucking idea was that? I mean, this fight being f three rounds is is bad. I, apparently, I heard rumors that it was Joanna who declined this being five rounds. I don't know if it's true or not, uh, but, you know, that would be sad to see because, I mean, I want to see two more rounds of this shit. I mean, it's going it's going the full three rounds. That's the, that's the spoiler for this one. This one is going the full three rounds. These women aren't finishing each other. So... I want to see it go with the extra two, um, but I'm still excited regardless. I think it's a it's a really intriguing matchup. Obviously, based on the hype of what we saw first time around, there's all the expectation in the world that we could see the same in the rematch. I share the same sentiment as you. I think when you look at the quality of some of the Fight Night main events that the UFC have been putting out, uh, especially when they're at the apex, and you think, well, Aspen Ladd versus Norma DeMont is worthy of five rounds. But Zhang Weili versus Joanna too isn't. You got to think it, it, it's not right. It's not right when obviously you, you want to try and be an entertainment sport as much as you do. Where you want to sort of like raise awareness of other divisions, that sort of thing. But no, Joanna Weili should definitely be five rounds. Yeah, I mean Nick Diaz, Tiago Santos. Uh, Jarzina Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov. These guys are getting main events, five round fights left and right. They gave Nick Diaz. Like a 40-year-old, you know, alcoholic. They gave him a five-round fight not that long ago. And I, I think they probably did offer this fight to be five rounds. I really do think that one of these yes. women turned it down. And like I said, I think – I don't know if this is true or not, but I did, you know, hear that it was on Ioana's side. I mean maybe um, – Maybe she doesn't want uh, to come back for five rounds for her first fight in two years. And it's the first time Zhang has fought three rounds in, all, in like four or five fights, right? I mean, I think her past four fights have been title fights, right? I think the uh, last yeah, one so was she had... 235 against Tisha Thomas. Yeah, so uh, three years since her last three-round fight. 
uh, I'm sure she'll, you know, appreciate not having to go the extra, uh, you know, 10 minutes. But, um, you know, the odds for this one, they have Zhang as the favorite, minus 170, which is like 63, 64%. I mean, so based on their first fight, if you had to say, you know, what was that fight? I don't see how, you know... Anybody could say it was more than 55-45 for either woman, right? I mean, even if you—you you could say 50-50 and that'd be fine. I mean, they were pretty evenly matched. Or you could give a slight advantage to one woman. I don't see how you get past 60% for either of these women. I mean, the only uh, the the logic behind that is that Zhang has been active for the past two years and Joanna hasn't. So maybe they're thinking that Zhang uh, will, you know— be the fresher fighter. We might see Joanna slow down at this point, but guys, Joanna is a great fighter. One, I mean, for my money, probably the the greatest women's fighter of all time. She's better than you know Shevchenko, even though she lost. She's better than Nunes, even though she didn't have as long of a title run. I think Joanna really is the best women's fighter I've ever seen. So um, I'm not w- willing to write her off yet. I don't think that she's going to be slowing down yet. And, uh, you know, I still think that, that they're disrespecting her, having her here as, you know, the 40% underdog. And good thing you talked about Yuana as well. We're going to talk about her in a little bit more detail here. You mentioned you think she has a claim as uh, the greatest women's, um, women's fighter of all time. Here are some of those notable wins in question. Michelle Waterson, Tisha Torres, Jessica Andrade, two wins over Claudia Gadelia. Jessica Penne, and a win over the current strawweight champion Carl Vesparza, and only loses to sort of like the elite rung of fighters. So Rose Namajunas twice, Valentina Shevchenko, and of course Zhang Weili. But this is a very interesting one because of one of the points you mentioned. Joanna was always known as being quite an active fighter. She would defend the belt every sort of four or five months. And yet here she is, near, near two and a half year layoff, 34 years old, are we going to get the same Ioana who was so dominant in that sort of 2015-2016 run? Well, I don't think it'll be quite back to that run, the 2015-16 you know, era. But, I mean, 2020, she was still a, an amazing fighter. I mean, she stuffed, uh, I think, all of Zhang's takedowns in that fight. Her takedown defense still looked really good. Her her uh, offensive striking was still great. I think she was the better defensive fighter in that fight. And she still had crazy good output and cardio to, to pump out volume for the full five rounds. So... In that fight, I didn't see much, if any, slowing down from her, from, you know, her prime. Uh, So it's just a matter of, do you think these two years is going to be, you know, enough for her to slow down? And uh, considering she hasn't been fighting, she's not taking damage. I'm sure she's, you know... uh, she took a long time to recover from like the, the forehead and everything. Um, I don't, I'm not willing to write her off. Like I'm saying. Um, so I, the other, on the other side, with Zhang, I think that she did look better, honestly, against Rose the second time. Uh, then, you know, I think she's steadily improving as a fighter still. Obviously, she trained at, uh, with Cejudo at Fight Ready. I kind of had my doubts on, um, you know, whether she would show any improvements from that. Um, just because, you know, Suhudo doesn't have much experience as a coach. It's obviously a woman uh, and a man, uh, the lang- language barrier. I thought that, you know, she wouldn't really have a lot of influence, but she did hit some nice open space takedowns, which I thought was new for her. Uh, if you see Zhang's previous fight, she likes really getting against the cage, but getting in the clinch, maybe ripping you down from the clinch or something. Uh, but she actually shot some open space takedowns and was able to get Rose down there. So to me, that was a definite improvement that we saw from her time at Fight Ready. And, you know, look out for that here. 
you want a classically great takedown defense, but a lot of those takedowns she stuffed in the first fight were against the cage, mm. which is where Joanna is so great at defending takedowns. So uh, look out for Zhang to shoot in open space and maybe catch Joanna by surprise here. I agree. I can see Willie going very grappling heavy for this one. Obviously, training with Cejudo is going to be a major factor there. And I think I think Willie could realize, hey, Joanna did cause me a lot of problems in the stand-up. Um, I, I do think there's a lot of question marks about Whirly's striking defense. I think that's one of her big failings as a fighter. So I can see her maybe trying to go a bit more grappling heavy. However, as you mentioned before, Joanna, fantastic takedown defense. And more importantly, she's a fantastic scrambler. If she gets taken down, she's able to get herself back to her feet. I think the only person who took her down and kept her there was Shevchenko. And we all know how good Shev, Shev can be. Um... Mm -hmm. And also as well, she could afford to try and keep Rose down because Rose is a big guard player. Rose was trying to work for submissions and was more comfortable staying on her back in a way that Ioana maybe isn't. So I think that's a big factor to play into it. One of the big concerns I maybe do have with Whaley as well is it was something which was very prominent in her early UFC run. You think she's maybe a bit of a weight bully? Like, she does cut a lot of weight for this class. And I think maybe because she thinks, hey, I'm bigger and I'm stronger than these girls, I maybe don't need to rely on defense as much. Because we've seen fighters of a much lower caliber than her cause of problems. I mean, Daniel Taylor rocked it in a UFC debut. Yeah, I do agree with that. You know, she definitely relies on her athletic attributes a little bit too much. But, I mean, that's no nothing unique to her i mean pretty much all good athletes in, in mma they neglect some area of their game just because they can get away with you know they're just insane athleticism so uh i think her defense is a good example of that she's insanely tough uh you know she did get finished by rose there but um she she does you know she ate all of Joanna's shots the first time and seemed insanely durable in that fight uh so i think that she you know kind of does rely on that she doesn't have to have the best defense because she knows she can take a a ton of punishment and keep coming so um, yeah, I definitely I wouldn't go as far to say, you know, a weight bully. Um, but I think that, you know, she definitely does have some, you know, cheating athletic advantages. When it comes to classic rematches, in fact, you can put this into any kind of media attribute. There's always a tendency that the sequel doesn't live up to the first one, the classic. What type of fight do you think we're going to get here? Is this going to be the Godfather part two or is this going to be staying alive? Yeah, this I don't think it's going to be remotely as good as the first fight. I mean, obviously, everyone's expectations are going to be high going into it. And I just think that there's no way they can live up to that. And, you know, just the three rounds, the, you know, the the Singapore crowd, they might not. I don't know what the what the uh, audience is going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be, you know, tens of thousands of people there or only a few thousand. So um, I'll be interested to see that. Um, but let me let me think. I, I hear like a motorcycle outside. I just know that they're gonna rip by any second. So I'm just like trying to like formulate my thoughts here. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I do think what you said is right. Zhang is gonna be looking to grapple here. She knows the striking didn't go too well in her first fight, and she's gonna be looking to grapple really hard here. But if she makes that right change and goes to shoot those open space takedowns, you hear it. Um, you heard that right, Carl? I did. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, if she goes to shoot those open space takedowns, I think that that's a, a, a huge benefit for her because um, 
Joanne is just, you know, nearly impossible to take down when her back is against the cage. She's so comfortable there. She's stuffed so many takedowns in that type of uh, space. So if she can catch her, you know, maybe catch a kick in open space or shoot a low single leg, a double leg of some sort, uh, I think that, you know, we could see Joanna get stuck on her back um, in that, you know, the center of the cage. Um, so that's the really the big adjustment that Zhang needs to make, honestly. She needs to shoot in the open space instead of against the cage. For Joanna, I think she really needs to just do what she did in the last fight because um, technically she would have won a split decision if the fight ended after the first round. The, the first uh, the first time the first three rounds she would have won a 29-28 split um, but you know th those rounds were close I mean I think she's still the better offensive fighter better defensively as well just much more experienced as a striker and the striking is going to favor her so she just needs to avoid that takedown and do what she does and uh, you know outstrike Sang here so I'll pick Joanna to win but it's a, it's a very hesitant pick. I'm far from confident in her. It, it will be a 29-28 for either woman. And it's going to be close. And with these fucking judges these days, man, you, you can never be sure. So, you know, tread lightly if you're betting this one. I saw you rant about the uh, Jeff Molina fight yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, honestly, that wasn't the most egregious decision. I bet on, I bet on Zoggoss there. Um, so, like, I was particularly upset about that one. It seemed like a lot, most people thought that was a bad decision, but it, it wasn't actually, like, the worst, worst decision ever. I'm going to be leaning towards Whaley on this one, and I lean for two reasons. One, I think that working with Cejudo is going to greatly benefit the grappling game. I can see her going quite wrestling heavy, and even though Yuana does have great takedown defense, that was... That was 2020 Ioana. And I think those two years away, 34 years old, there's just too many question marks for me to pick Ioana to win this one. So I am going to pick Whaley to win this one. It's going to be a, unanim going to be a unanimous decision. And if Ioana was to win this fight, uh, part of the reason why Ioana has been inactive for so long is, firstly, she wants to get paid, which I 100% support, because I think anybody who competes in this sport and suffers the brutality that comes with it should be uh should be given what they deserve but also as well Ioana has also been quite picky in regards to who she wants to fight like she was quite open in saying I either want a title match or I want Whaley because I know they wanted to try and do her versus Marina Rodriguez her versus Mackenzie Dern and she both turned those down if Ioana loses this fight a road to a title is pretty much done is that it for Ioana um, I hope not. I mean, I think that she should still come back and go out on a win. I mean, she could she could beat up a lot of women in the division still. Um, you know, with the way Carla looked in her last fight, I mean, I would favor you know Joanna. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think she'll still stick around even if she loses. Yeah. And before we move on to uh, talking about the title fights, we mentioned before there that um. The expectation is this fight isn't going to live up to how good the classic was. What is the most disappointing UFC rematch of all time? Uh, Rose versus Carla, too. Ah, God, well, I was thinking more in terms of like <laughs> the first fight being such an amazing fight and the sequel not living up to it. Mm, yeah. Because Rose Carla think. 1 was just pretty much Carla wrestling and then getting the sub. That's a good question. I don't know. What what is your pick? You have you probably have one in mind. There's a couple that come to mind. I don't. I think Jones versus Gus was underwhelming. Uh, two thirty two. Uh, Mark Hunt versus Bigfoot, but that was like post TRT Bigfoot. Nowhere near as competitive. 
uh, Griffin versus Bonner. There was a big gulf in quality between the two when they fought second time around. So that would probably be my top three. Those are some good ones. Yeah, I feel like there's one in a little more recent memory, but I'm, I'm not remembering what it was. Um, I'm just excited for the Derek Lewis and Ngannou uh, rematch that will happen inevitably one day. You never know. Let's see if Francis resigns for the UFC. Call main event time now, and we are going to the women's flyweight division. Valentina Shevchenko is back in action, and she's going to be taking on the number four seed, Tyler Santos. Betting odds for this one, very interesting. Shevchenko is minus 720. You can get Tyler Santos at plus 500. Now, even though that gap is quite wide, it is the closest gap between Shevchenko's opponents since Ioana fight, where she was a minus 300 favorite. Uh, the INC voters, they are keeping their support, however. Shevchenko, 94% to win this one. Tyler Santos just getting 6% of the votes. Before we talk about the fight itself, though, I want to use this opportunity to sort of bring up some concerns that I have with the UFC and in terms of their promotion when it comes to fighters. There is a reason behind this, don't worry. I think on the whole, the UFC are very good at marketing their stars. If they see somebody who they think could be a big name, they can go the whole hog to make them feel like a big star. However, if you don't play the media game and you're in sort of like an unfashionable weight class, they don't even try. And I bring this up in regards to Tyler Santos because Tyler, in my opinion, poses the biggest threat to Shevchenko out of any of her title defenses. She's long for the weight class. She carries a lot of power. I mean, she's 19-1, so she's shown that she has a lot of quality that goes with that record. But outside of the hardcore fans who watch these sort of preview shows, nobody knows who she is. So how can you expect the Bob and Bettys of the world, who sort of pick and choose which cards to get invested in, how can you expect them to pay attention when they've made no attempt to try and make a big deal out of her opponent? I mean, Tyler's career was pretty much played out on fight night prelims, and now she's fighting for a belt. Yeah, I mean... I so I disagree with the, the UFC building up the stars. I mean, they don't. I think they do a, a pretty bad job, honestly. I mean, sure, Sean O'Malley gets like a a, pre, a promo or something like that. But I mean, I don't think they know how to spot talent at all. Um, I mean, Marlon Vera, you know, finished uh, O'Malley in the first round. And then, the, you know, we still see O'Malley getting more promotional push while he's beaten, you know, you know, nobody impressive yet. While O'Malley just continues to, or I mean Vera continues to rack up good wins and, uh, you know, is finally getting some of the recognition he deserves. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a pretty impossible task for them to ask the, to market Santos. I mean, nobody cares about Shevchenko. I mean, she's just, you know, one of the worst things to ever happen to the sport, in my opinion. Just, you know, just nobody cares. I mean, her fights are terrible. Uh, you know, boring personality. Uh, the, the whole division uh, is worse because of her, honestly. Um, so, sure, Santos, nobody knows who she was, but nobody nobody cares who she is either because these fights, they just churn out the next one, the next contender. Oh, Lauren Murphy. Oh, Jennifer Maya. You know, the, these those women have no chance. But, yeah, I mean, Santos does have a better chance uh, than those past few women I mentioned. Um, you did make one little mistake that you said um, the closest odds, the, the, the Andrade odds were actually a little bit closer than they are now. Andrade was about a four to one favorite just last year. So um, 
this is uh they're giving Santos a better shot. And you know, the INC live listeners, y- y'all are tripping six percent for Santos. I mean, that you got to give her a little bit better chance than that. I mean, I think it's more like I don't know, 15 percent, um, maybe 20 percent. I mean, Santos, uh, she takes women down, she's a good wrestler, she's a strong, athletic woman, and she takes women down. Where have we seen Shevchenko look susceptible lately? The Jennifer Maya fight, where she got taken down and put on bottom and lost that rounds. And you got to think that if any way that Shevchenko loses a fight, it's going to be a strong wrestler who can take her down. And that's what Santos is. So I feel like people just have no idea who Santos is. Not only do they have no idea who she is, they have no idea how she fights. They have no idea that she's a strong wrestler. So people need to do a little research before writing her off in this one. Which plays into some of the concerns I have with the UFC that they haven't done a good enough job painting this woman as a viable threat, which in my opinion, she is. Because as you mentioned before, very strong wrestler. She's openly admitted that she's going to want to gravel with Shevchenko. Um, and as I sort of teased there before, she does carry a lot of power. She uh, dropped Roxanne. She dropped Joanne Calderwood. And yes, maybe both of those fighters may be on the way in a bit, a little bit past their prime. Uh, but she was able to get them down. Um, I do think there are a lot of attributes here to look for with Tyler Santos that she can pose a threat. Uh, the one big thing, that sort of big blemish that comes with Tyler Santos... She is 19-1. We need to talk about the one. The only loss of her career came on a UFC debut, February 2019 against Mara Barella. What did you see from Tyler in that fight that you could point to and say she lost because of that reason? I have no recollection of that fight. Um, I remember, you know taping and watching it years and years ago i thought i remember it kind of being like a robbery i don't remember though um i think she got stuck on like she got taken down and she got stuck on bottom for a long time um i don't know i guess there's yeah so barella controlled her for six minutes with two takedowns in that fight um so it it was a split decision though it could have gone either way i mean ufc debut uh you know, who really knows uh, what what the deal was there. Um, but, you know, I think that since then she's had some good wins. Honestly, McCann is not a bad win. Robertson's a solid win. Roxanne, not so much. And Joanne, the way she, you know, made easy work of, of uh, Wood there was pretty impressive. So, um, I don't know. I disagree with you a little bit on, like, the building her up. Because if they put Santos on a, a big spot in a pay-per-view or something, I would complain because she doesn't deserve to be there. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they... The, that's what Shevchenko is. She's a co-main event champion. Um, and then her fighters or her opponents come straight from the prelims and, you know, nobody give, nobody gives a shit. So, um, and that'll never change. No matter what Shevchenko does, it'll never, ever change. The only thing that she can do is retire and put us all out of our, our, our misery. So let's hope that happens sooner than later. Uh, I'm pick. I'm picking Santos. Let's do it. Let's do it, Carl. Santos for the upset. She will wrestle her way to a victory here, and it'll be glorious. Hopefully, they don't offer Shevchenko a rematch, and they just you know tell her to uh, enjoy retirement. You know how people always used to give me grief for the way I talked about Nunes. This is not like the yeah, same that- thing with Shevchenko and you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a Joanna fucking uh, channel over here. We, we, except for Carl, who's picking against her like a coward. But uh, <laughs> you, you know, he's uh, he, the communist veins are. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. We can't make that joke. Can't make that joke. Um, yeah. So, so I'm picking Santos, Carl. I'm doing it. 
Well, we'll talk about Valentina, which I know you're sort of cringing at the thought of it. 22 and 3 record. <laughs> um, this will be her seventh title defense. So if she was to win this one, she would break Ronda's record for the most defenses in one weight class. And her notable wins include Andrade, Chukasian, uh, Carmouche, of course, Bellator Flyweight Champion now. Joanna, Holly Holm, uh, Sarah Kaufman, and Juliana Pena, the current bantamweight champion. Uh, unbeaten as a flyweight, Oliver Luss has succumbed at 135. Uh, but we are dealing with a fighter, though, who is now 34 years old, has nearly 20 years' worth of combat sports underneath her. Father Time is, of course, unbeaten. Glover Teixeira has been putting up a really good fight in that regard, though, but... As good as Shevchenko has been, and as good as she looked against Lauren Murphy, another sort of clinical job-done performance, and she keep that up? Yeah, I don't have too much concern about Shevchenko slowing down. Um, I, I don't think there's much evidence to suggest it, so there's not much point in speculating on it either. Um, you know, I'll never forgive her what she did to my girl, Kaylin Chukagian. I mean, I love Chukagian, and... Uh, you know, Shevchenko did throw a beat down on her. So, you know, that's part of the reason why uh, I dislike her. Um, I also am just terrible at picking uh, at picking Shevchenko fights how they're going to end. I never mm. know what what round or how she's going to do it. I'll pick a submission and then she'll knock her out. I'll pick decision and then it'll be a finish. I, I, I don't know how to do it. Um, but this one I think is going to be accurate. Tyler Santos decision. Not sure if it'll, she'll win every single round. I think it could be just like five takedowns and that's a wrap, but, um, yeah, I got to stick with it. I already, I already bet on her at plus 500, um and uh yeah i mean she seems like as capable uh, as a woman as we're gonna get so we might as well put our faith in her i do have a couple of issues when it comes to tyler santos based on what i've seen i think when it comes to the striking um she does like to move forward in straight lines like i am coming forward i am going to attack she doesn't really sort of move to the side or sort of set up angles in the way that you maybe ideally do for this sort of elite level of women's flyweight um, I don't think her ground game was all that uh, secure when she fought Mara Barella. Barella seemed to control her very well. And Mara, in my opinion, isn't really the most... She's not the most physically imposing fighter in that weight class, in my opinion. And yeah, and she does have a tendency to loop her shots. When she does get a bit carried away, the big overhand start coming in. And Shevchenko, who can be just sort of like pinpoint bullet shoot you down... She could thrive if Tyler starts winging it a bit. Just quick counter-strike and then just sort of point fighting you out. I I can see a lot of grappling in this fight. I think there's a lot of comparisons frame-wise between Tyler and Caitlin Chukasian. And Shevchenko turned that into a grappling match. Uh, managed to get crucifix and finish it off. I think if Shevchenko's going to win it, I can see it maybe being done in the grappling exchanges. Um... I think to play it safe, you would go with Shevchenko to win this one. But I will add this sort of prefix. I think Shevchenko is a fantastic fighter, worthy of a lot of the praise that she gets from fans and the UFC. But I do think her time as champion is a lot closer to ending than what people think it is. But partly because, obviously, 34 years old, she's going to start slowing down. But also, this, this run of flyweight fighters she's going to be facing are very, very good. Not only do you have Tyler Santos, but you also have Erin Blanchfield, good win for her last night. You have Manon Firo, who I am very high on. Casey O'Neill, you've got some really talented girls coming to the fore. And 
I think Shevchenko's skill set will be able to keep her there for a little bit longer. But the division is coming very, very close to passing her by. Yeah, and we have to start talking about how, how many more fights can the UFC promote on her before, like, just losing interest. I mean, seriously, the, I, like, she should probably be, like, the first fight on, like, the road to the UFC. Um, like, the prelims of the road to the UFC, they should put Shevchenko there. Um, like, stream it on, like, uh, Vimeo or something like that. Because you can't be putting her on pay-per-views to still. You just can't. I won't. I refuse to say anything positive about Shevchenko. And, uh, you know, Brazil will will win another championship here. So that'll be exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. I think the UFC, to their credit, I think they are using Shevchenko in the best way. Like, they, they recognize, hey, Shevchenko is not, like, she's not interesting enough to be a sort of pay-per-view air side. And her weight class isn't strong enough to do it either. But using her to sort of... Like, if they use it the way they are doing, which is sort of like, if you have a champion where there are some question marks over how big their show is going to be, you put Shevchenko in the core main, and you turn what could be an uninteresting title fight in a weak weight class, and now you've got two of them. So you've got two title fights on the card and a marquee matchup with that. That's the best way to use Shevchenko, in my opinion. I think it's a much more sensible way of doing it than what they've done with, say, Nunes, for example, where they're trying to force her to be a pay-per-view A-side, even though the numbers are saying otherwise. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I would disagree. I, I think with, they did the best when they put her on Carmouche. They they made it like a ESPN Plus main event because, I mean, I think putting her on the co-main event of a pay-per-view just kills most of the momentum. I mean, it's just an immediate turnoff for anybody watching the pay-per-view, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I guess, thank God she's not a main event. At least they, they spare us that, but putting her in the co-main event just, you know, just kills the vibe. Um, and, um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I got to say. I'll end with this final question. If Tyler Santos, you're, you're going very high on the Tyler Santos to win game. All credit to you for that. If not Tyler Santos, who will be the one to defund Shevchenko? Man, what a loaded question. Um, I mean, I like Fiero. I think, I hope, you know, maybe Fiero could do it. I think Chu Kagan would definitely win a rematch. Her chances would be somewhere in between like 99 and 100% to beat Shevchenko in a rematch. Um, but, um, yeah, I think really any woman against Shevchenko would, would win at this point. I mean, I think if we gave Lauren Murphy another chance, she'd probably get the job done. So, um, yeah, any warm body against Shevchenko, I think, will, will win at this point. Are you just trolling now? Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> on that note, we will move on to our main event. Uh, main event time now, and Glover Shiva will be making the first defense of his light heavyweight title, but he faces a very, very dangerous opponent in the process. The number two seed, Yivi Prohovska. Betting odds for this one, Yivi is a minus 195 favorite. You can get Glover in at plus 165. INC voters, very similar way. Yuri Pohovska, 67% to win. Glover Toshiba, 33%. Now, John, it's fa fairly safe to say that the UFC fan base is quite divided on a lot of things. You talk about any sort of subject and they're almost at loggerheads with one another. If there's one thing that really united fans in the back end of 2021, it was Glover Toshiba winning the light heavyweight title 42 years old against Jan Blachowicz, UFC 267. 
where were you when that happened? Because honestly, it was one of those great feel-good MMA moments that don't come around all that often. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, watching the pay-per-view at home as always. And uh, I mean, I was sh I was shocked, honestly. I thought, you know, I, uh, you know, stupidly, very stupidly picked Jan to win the fight. And, uh, you know, thought his takedown defense would hold up better. I and mean, Glover just ran through and make him, made it look easy. So obviously, I agree. Feel-good moment of the year, probably. Um, everybody loves, I think, both these guys. I mean, both of these guys are super likable. This is an amazing fight. I've been talking a lot of negativity about this card, right? Um, you know, but first, I think what I'll say is Jack Della, great. Uh, I think they great idea of putting him on the first fight on the main card. Bontran Cop, that's a good fight. You know, Zhang, uh, Zhang and Yuan, a good fight. Uh, and then this fight is, you know, amazing. 10 out of 10. Doesn't get any better. You got a brand new matchup. You got the, 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 the fan favorite Glover as the champ defending his belt. You got the new killer, Yuri, who's been, you know, knocking dudes out as the challenger. And it's just a perfect fight, honestly. I mean, I can't wait for this fight. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's very rare that we're getting like a new title fight in, in men's MMA these days for the UFC. We're getting a lot of rematches. But this one, I mean, a very original matchup. Can't wait to see it. And uh, it's an amazing fight. Uh, that's, what I'll, that's what I'll start with. And it comes at a very interesting time for the light heavyweight division because obviously John Jones vacated the title and there was pretty much a void left in his absence. And we've seen the new guard, which have still been very impressive, but they haven't properly filled that gap yet. You've got guys like Yiri, Ankalaev, Alexander Rakic, who certainly have a lot of potential. I'll add Jamal Hill in there as well. You've got guys who have a lot of potential, but they're not, they're not ingrained as stars yet. Is light heavyweight a good weight class right now? Is go over the beneficiary of things just being a little bit weaker than what they normally are? Oh, it's definitely not good. It's it's not good. Um, I mean, no, not good. Um, but I just think that all all heavier fighters. I mean, pretty much once you get north of one seventy, the the quality of the divisions just absolutely plummets, like like a straight line down uh, in quality at, once you go past one seventy. Um, so I don't think it's good. It, it's interesting. It's fun, you know. But uh, I mean, the skill level. I mean, these these guys are still old, big, slow guys, and uh, I mean. Glover, it's fun that Glover's a champion, but with the fact that you have a 42-year-old who gets knocked out and comes back in every fight as the champion just kind of shows that where the division's at. But but make no mistake, John Jones wouldn't make it any better. That dude is 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 washed as the old laundry. I mean, uh, he's not coming back. He's not fighting in the UFC again, so no need to keep mentioning him. We'll talk. We'll mention then Glover Teixeira, 33 and seven record. As mentioned before, 42 years old, the second oldest champion in UFC history. Number one is Randy Couture, 43 years old, when he beat Tim Sylvia at UFC 68. And the big, if you had to point to one thing that sort of brought about this transformation in Glover Teixeira, if you looked at Glover's early UFC bud, when he was sort of like knocking people out left, right, and center, challenged John Jones for the belt, with many people believing. This big one-shot Brazilian is just going to plow Jones and end up taking the belt and the reign of terror. Um, and now, he's almost exclusively a grappler. And this grappling prowess is really catching a lot of people in this weight class off guard. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's a great necessary change. I mean, when you're old like that, 40 plus, I mean, the striking, the reactions just aren't going to be there. So you have to, you know, make do and, you know, go back to the roots. And he, uh, fortunate for him, has, you know, a, a great grappling game, good takedowns, extremely heavy on top, can finish fights uh, really efficiently once he gets on top. And it's just ha- just so happens to be like the perfect, uh, you know, uh, plan B for the light heavyweight division because none of these guys can defend a takedown apparently. And uh, once Glover gets on top of him, he absolutely smushes them. So, uh, you know, just incredible stuff that he's been able to do this for this long. Um, but uh, you know, unfortunately for him, he's got uh, a you know a death defying menace in front of him this weekend, uh, and. Uh, I'll let you segue that into your jury introduction there, Carl. Yes, Yuri Pohovska, 28-3 record. He's on a fantastic winning streak as well. Uh, notable wins, including his time in Ryzen. You've got people like Dominic Reyes and Volkan Uzdemir in the UFC. You go into Ryzen, he's beaten the likes of C.B. Dolloway, Fabio Maldonado, Brandon Halsey, former Bellator champion, King Molawal, and I was surprised this fight actually happened. Kazuyuki Fujita. Fujita was still fighting and ended up fighting Yuri Pohovska right to the end of his career. That's some cruel shit right there. That's Japanese MMA for you. Um, obviously, former Ryzen light heavyweight champion. And I will add this sort of prefix, though, when it comes to Yuri's time in Ryzen. Because uh, one of my best friends, Uncle Joey MMA, I recommend you look him up on Twitter. He is really big when it comes to the Japanese promotions. So obviously, I asked him in regards to Glover's fighting style. What's Yuri's ground game like? And he said one word, limited. Yeah, I was, I was going to say bad. Um, yeah, I mean, the the fight to look at is the Carl Albrechtson fight from Ryzen back in, um, it was it was almost five years ago. Um, and, you know, he did get taken down. He spent a lot of time on bottom in that fight. Actually, Mo the Wall took him down too, way back in like 2015, their first fight. And I think Halsey fight. did as well. Yeah, so, I mean, he he can be taken down. I mean, he's definitely not, like, a good defensive grappler. Um, his takedown defense is not good. And once he gets on bottom, he can get stuck there for multiple minutes. But um, he's insanely athletic. He's going to be hard to hold down. He, he knows how to get back up to his feet. And it's really going to be a matter of can Jiri kill Glover before Glover takes him down? Because, to me, it seems like... The first few punches that Jerry lands are going to really wobble and hurt uh, Glover. And the first takedown that Glover gets, he's probably going to get really dominant positions and be liable for a finish. And I just think that one of these guys is finishing each other uh, by – it's either Jerry knockout or Glover sub within two rounds. I really don't see this one getting into the third round. I think it could only last a few minutes, uh, you know, which is, you know, a little unfortunate just because it's such an exciting fight. You'd like to see it play out a little bit more. But with how explosive these guys are and how great finishers they are, I just think it's destined to end either uh, by uh, Jiri uh, bonking him or Teixeira uh, subbing him. So not too original analysis there. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the consensus opinion by everyone. It's just a matter of which outcome you're going to settle on. Is it the Jiri knockout or is it the Glover sub? I do have some big concerns for Glover early in the fight because if you look at Glover's uh, run to the belt, nearly nearly every fight follows the same sort of template. He ends up getting rocked very early in the fight, gets on top position, and ends up managing to either ground and pound or sub his way to the win. We saw it against Thiago Santos. We saw it against Kutalaba. We saw it against Carl Roberson. 
though these sort of lower level guys were causing Glover a lot of problems very early on in their fights, Anthony Smith as well. And there's only so many times that you can get away with just barely surviving and ending up on top. That look's going to run out at some point. And at 42 years old, there's always going to be that question mark. Yeah, that is that is exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, Roberson had him nearly knocked out with those Travis Brown elbows. Kudalaba was stuffing. Kudalaba stuffed like seven or eight takedowns before inevitably getting taken down. Krylov was a back and forth grappling fight. Smith had him hurt bad in the first two rounds. Santos dropped him in the first two rounds. It wasn't until he actually won the belt where he won a fight without much, without any resistance. I mean, he ran through Jan Blachowicz with no resistance whatsoever. And, uh, you know, made it look easy. I mean, he was a two to one underdog in that fight and he looked like a, a four to one favorite. So, I mean, he, he, you know, he ran through Jan there um, and, you know, he's going to be in another tough matchup here, though. I mean, just the speed advantage, the the power advantage for Yuri is going to be so much to overcome. I mean, just Jiri has very, you know, uh, sporadic movement. He's always kind of darting in and out and jumping and, you know, throwing flying knees and kicks and punches from all these angles. I feel like that is a really good strategy to, to fluster uh, Glover and to, to hit him with some unorthodox shots. Kind of like Tiago Santos did. You saw Santos, when they got in close, he would wing those big looping hooks or overhands, and he would be able to clip uh, Glover in those exchanges. And I think that Yuri's, you know, athleticism and his unorthodox kind of angles he comes from are going to be hard for, for Glover to, to anticipate. Yuri's striking is a little bit porous. And we even saw Dominic Reyes causing him a lot of problems. That was like a fight of the year contender. People forget how good that fight was. Um... Obviously, Glover maybe doesn't rely as much on his striking as he did back in his prime. But can he maybe see some openings in a stand-up battle? Can he maybe... Because he still has that power. He still rocked Jan Blachowicz to set up one of his takedowns. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I mean, it's, it's possible, it's, but I mean, I think just the speed advantage and the, the other thing though is, is Yuri's insanely durable. I yes. mean, uh, Reyes landed straight left hands straight to the chin and this dude wasn't even taken, you know, was, was taking them with ease. Um, Yuri has shown susceptibility to leg kicks a lot, but, but Glover's not doing that. No. Um, so, I mean, I think that any. You know, say they're exchanging a few punches. I just feel like if Glover really tries to connect on the chin of Yuri, he's just going to leave himself open. And his he's at such a durability disadvantage that his uh, that any time for him exchanging in the pocket is is not uh, you know time well spent. Glover's mentioned we saw his interview with uh, Room Service Diaries, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. They did an interview with him. And he did mention that he is looking to retire either with the belt or without later this year. Do you think maybe mentally having one foot out the door might affect how he approaches this fight? I don't think so because this guy has probably had one foot out the door for like five years now. Honestly, like, like seriously, he lost. He didn't he lose. He lost like multiple. I'd say after the Gustafson fight, he probably really started contemplating retirement, and then he went on to go, you know, six and one and be the champion since then. So I feel like he's had his foot out the door for a while now, and it really hasn't slowed him down. So I see no reason to suggest that it will now. So put your money where where your mouth is. Who's winning this one and how? Jiri, knockout, round one. Sad to say it. Glover, I mean, I picked against Glover last time, but, um, you know, 
obviously I, I neglected to, to realize that Jan Blahovich hasn't improved his takedown defense at all. Um, but Jan is, he's slow. His, his feet are, you know, very, very planted. He doesn't move very well. Yuri is agile. He's fast. He's in and out. He's quick. He's powerful. He's durable. I mean, he's got all the, uh, the tools to make this a, a really nasty fight on the feet. Um, obviously if he gets taken down, it's probably going to be a wrap from then on, but I just trust Jiri to hit him with some shit before he gets taken down and, and to knock him out. I would say to play it safe, go with Yiri and go by knockout. But what I will say is this, if I was to look at this sort of new generation of light heavyweight fighters coming through, Ankalaev, Rakic, Jamal Hill, that sort of thing. If I had to choose one guy who I think Glover has the best chance of beating, it is Yiri. Because I have so many question marks about his ground game. Yeah, that is true. Um, but I mean, I, I I don't know. I feel like at this point, I'd probably pick Ankalaev. I'd probably pick Yuri. I'd, I might even pick Anthony Smith in a rematch against uh, against Glover, honestly. Um, so, I mean, I I hate to I hate to be even remotely disrespecting the the legend Glover here. Uh, but I gotta go with what what is he? Uh Czechless Czech Republic Czechoslovakian Czech, or something? I Czech, don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I gotta go with the Czech here. Uh Jiri, uh, you know, this guy is I wonder if he's gonna have the hair. Will he have the hair piece in? Because that'll be a big factor. If he's got the <laughs> hair piece in, he's there's no fucking way he's losing. Um so but like you, you brought up a great point. Jiri versus Reyes, one of the best fights of all last year. If you guys haven't rewatched it lately, go rewatch that shit. Um, and good point as well, bringing up um, Czech MMA because this is a country which has started slowly embracing the sport. I think all of that sort of like Central European countries is starting to really get into MMA. Like you'd be winning that belt, that would be big for big for them. What what is your uh, pick for the? Did you pick which round are you going with for a jury knockout? I'm going to say, I'm afraid to say, I'm going to say first round. But what I will say is, I think the longer the fight goes, the more I favor Glover. Yeah. And then uh, I, I'll go. Uh, I'll go under two minutes for the jury knockout. You get you get over two minutes. How about that? Yes, I'll take that deal. Okay, so we have something to, we have something to go back on next week. If I got Jack, you got Ameev. We both got Cop. I have round one. You have round two. I have Yoana. You have Zhang. I have Santos. You have Chev. And then I have the first two minutes knockout. Freddie Cheery. You have the 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 second three minutes. Sounds like a great plan. And obviously, when it comes to us doing the UFC 276 preview show, we'll be uh, assessing those bets and seeing which one of us came out on top. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me as always, my man. It's always fun to talk fights with you. It's been an absolute pleasure, John. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you very much as well to you at home for tuning in. Uh, we absolutely love doing these preview shows, um, talking the fights with John, maybe ruffling up a few feathers, but that comes normally when it comes Hell to yeah. anyone who follows the channel knows that. Um, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been supporting INC Live and supporting the main channel, It's Not Cage Fighting, as well. Uh, and if you would like to support us on the channel, it's patreon.com forward slash It's Not Cage Fighting. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash INCageFighting. John, of course, will be covering all of the fights in plenty more detail. And where's the best place to do that, John? You can follow me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC ufo underscore ufc or search me up on youtube soundcloud apple Podcasts, or spotify at martian mma john thank you very much for joining us thank you very much once again for you to uh, tune in 
Um, obviously, we're going to be back next month when it comes to UFC 276. International Fight Week, Israel Adesanya will be taking on Jared Kananea. Max Holloway versus Alex Volkanovsky 3. That's going to be the core main for that one. And also as well, please make sure you tune in to everything that we do here on INC Live. Joe Neal has once again been very busy. He's done the post-fight recap for the Volkov vs. Voice and Strike Fight Night main event. He's also going to be invading the main channel as well. He'll be doing a retro review, quite appropriately, on UFC 68. See how 43-year-old Randy Couture ended up winning the UFC heavyweight title. For now, though, this has been INC Live. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been John Martian. Peace out. And we'll hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye for now.